We are in the book of, uh, not the book of Ephesus, we're studying Ephesus, the church. And so we have been spending time looking at the passages of scripture in the book of Acts that reference this church that we know of as Ephesus. For those of you who are geography experts, uh, Ephesus is in modern day Turkey. It's in Asia Minor along the southwest side of Turkey. So if you think, if you can picture Turkey, it's on the southwest side of it. Um, And it was, as Pastor Jim said accurately, the center of commerce for the time in this this period. This was the the Roman era, and so uh, it was a Roman city that was a center of commerce. A lot of roads led to different places. Things came to there, so it would be our modern day uh, what New York is to us, would, it would be Ephesus uh, for the Roman Empire. Uh, and the spiritual climate of Ephesus is uh, relatable to that of what we would know as uh, New Orleans, right? And I, I don't think it's uh, with the voodoo and different things that happen there. So if you take the center of commerce with uh, the, the center of things that are not of God, uh, when it comes to voodoo, then that's what you get uh, when you get when you think of Ephesus. So there's um, commerce and some religious stuff happening there. And what we've been recognizing is is that as the the gospel breaks forth, I don't know if a lot of us we know Acts chapter one eight, and you can pretty much take that verse and see how the gospel unfolds, right? Or how the book unfolds. It begins in Jerusalem. They scatter to Judea, they go to Samaria, and then, uh, and then to the ends of the earth. So we would be in uh, this portion of the book of Acts, we would be at the ends of the earth portion of the book of Acts. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And so the gospel is, is going forth. Uh, lives are being changed. Disciples are being added into the, the, the kingdom of God. Uh, the, the body of Christ is growing immensely. And we spent time last week uh, and uh, several weeks looking at, at some who have received enough truth about Jesus, but haven't had the opportunity to experience the fullness of what Jesus brings. So if you think of John the Baptist, he's come to prepare the way uh, and he brought a baptism of repentance. It's what Pastor Jim has been preaching on for the past two weeks, according to uh, Acts 18 and also the beginning of 19. Um, What we're seeing is that there were incomplete disciples, ones who knew just enough about Jesus, but hadn't experienced the fullness of Jesus. And so uh, they had a knowledge that we should repent and be prepared for Jesus, but they didn't have a knowledge on how to receive Jesus. And so Paul, uh, and so we got introduced to Apollos, got introduced to Priscilla and Aquila, got introduced to uh, a guy named Paul who ministered to disciples of Apollos, and we saw them come to, to completion. So they had knowledge of Jesus And next, they had experience of Jesus, in particular, knowing what Jesus has accomplished and what he has given, namely, the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
And so they understood that, yes, we should prepare for his coming. The one that they prepared for has come, so he should be believed in. Uh, and you, the way that you come to believe is repenting of your old way of thinking about him, receiving the new revelation of who Jesus is, and then receiving the, uh, the sign of this revelation, which would be the Holy Spirit coming in and living inside of them. Not just uh, a water baptism, but a, a fullness of God, fully immersed in the life of God through the Holy Spirit in them. That's what we got introduced to. When we think of, uh, so this next portion in Ephesus, what we're talking about um, as we look at Acts 19, verses 11 through 20, I want to take the time to answer three questions. And these three questions are this. What is God doing? Second, what are the sons of Sceva doing? Because they're mentioned here in this passage. And three, what is happening in Ephesus? So three questions. What is God doing? What are the sons of Sceva doing? And thirdly, what, is ha what happens as a result in Ephesus? concerning this. So we see that the word of God prevails. Let's read Acts chapter 19, verses 11 through 2. And I'm going to read this, but I'm going to backtrack a little bit just to make my point, if that's okay with you. All right? It says here in verses 11 and 12, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. The first thing, I, I asked this first question, what is God doing? Because it mentions right off the bat in verse 11 what God is up to. And God was doing is the very first phrase that, that uh, Luke writes here in recounting what is happening in Ephesus. Ephesus sorry, And what and God, excuse me, was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So if you know what, uh, what is up here, he, it's God doing things through and using uh, the hands of Paul. Paul wasn't a guy who followed Jesus all of his life. Paul was, was a, a zealous, was growing up in the zealous teaching of the Pharisees. Paul actually thought that he was doing God a favor by destroying the church of Jesus Christ. So he, with zeal and with permission, was on his way to Damascus where a bunch of disciples were. And his intent was to put them in prisons. His intent was, in a sense, get rid of the church. And so on this road, he had an encounter with Jesus. You can read about this in, in Acts chapter 9, he had an encounter with Jesus, and Jesus himself says to Paul, or Saul at that moment, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he's like, Lord, is, is that you? And so, in that encounter, what ends up happening is he gets revelation of who Jesus really is. He's not just the one crucified. He's not the one. He's not no longer the one in his mind that his disciples stole the body of. 
Remember, that was the, the, the lie that, or the rumor that they were spreading around that the disciples stole his body. Therefore, we can prove the resurrection, right? So it, it destroyed that mentality because now he's seeing the, resurre- the resurrected and exalted Jesus. He's having an encounter with the resurrected and exalted Jesus. And Jesus says to him, why do you persecute me? As a result of this encounter, he receives, uh, he gets blinded, and for three days he doesn't eat. For three days he just prays and is sitting there somber. And, and within those days, the Lord is mobilizing someone who is a seeker of God, someone who is a follower of Jesus, to come and minister to Paul. And so Paul then receives these words. Actually, when God reveals himself to Ananias. He says to Ananias, hey, do you know about my, uh, this boy named Saul? And he's like, uh, I know what he wants to do, but you, uh, what do you want me to do here, Lord? This is what the Lord says in Acts chapter 9, verse 15. Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So God's God comes to Ananias and says, Ananias, the dude who wants to destroy you is now the dude that, I'm cho- that I've, I've chosen to carry my name to the Gentiles, to kings, and to Israel. Think of that. If you're Ananias, you're just like, ah, Lord, I th- don't you know that he's trying to destroy us? What, what, what kind of setup is this? Right? And so the Lord says specifically, he's going to carry my name. The other thing that we see, um, so what do we see God doing here? Is we see, nope, uh, I got changed. All right, we're going down here. He is fulfilling his call of, of Paul. That's what we're seeing at this point. So we see that he, God has chosen Paul to carry his name to the Gentiles, to the kings and to Israel. We also see in verse in chapter 9 of Acts, verse 17, that says, So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Paul is called to carry the name of Jesus, but also to receive the filling of the Holy Spirit. And this is what it says in Acts chapter 9, verse 22. I have to go here because of, of where I'm going to go next, okay? Paul says in Acts chapter 9, verse 22, so it's written of Saul, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. So not only is God um, moving in Paul's life and fulfilling his call, What Paul is set to do is to bring the word of God. And what we see is, is in that, as he regains his strength, as he receives the testimony of Jesus, as he is baptized in the water in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, which was a big deal, as he is then filled with the Holy Spirit, he is empowered but not just empowered, he increases in that power. According to chapter 9, verse 22. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving 
that Jesus was the Christ. So this intensifying of power is also an increased inability. An ability to teach according to the scriptures who Jesus is, and also an ability to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. He is strengthened. He is growing in that strength, or increasing all the more in strength. And so what is God doing? Is he is doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of the one whom he has called. I want you to know that it's God who is doing these things. It's not Paul. It's God by the hands of Paul. Paul is a submitted servant of the Lord, one who has received the Holy Spirit, one who has received the, the and made the confession of who Jesus Christ is. This is the one who God is using in the setting here in Acts chapter 19, verse 11. But God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. And part of that work was his teaching. I don't know which way to go. This is all jacked up. What we see God doing is that he is opening the doors for the word of God to be proclaimed. If you look at chapter 19, just the verse before in verse 10, it says that this continued for two years. What continued? Paul continued meeting with the disciples and meeting with people, whether Jew or Greeks, uh, to tell them the word of the Lord. And so as he did this for two years, the summary of that two years is, all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So wherever Paul went, one who received the testimony of Jesus and believed, one who received the baptism in the name of Jesus, one who is walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, one who is increasing in his ability or in the strength in the Spirit, God is using him to proclaim the word of God clearly, and it can be said of Asia that all of them heard the word of the Lord. What I want you to see is that it's not just, we're not just a word people, we're also a power people. It is both. It is both proclaiming the word of God and it is both proclaiming and God meeting us with the resources of heaven, the power of God displayed when the teaching and the bold preaching of Jesus comes, then the power of God moves also with it. That's what we need to see. There is a tendency in our society to be a word people and those who are spirit power people are looked at as cuckoo. Like you guys are ridiculously crazy. You're elevating things that you ought not. But what is the, the conclusion here? Or what is one of the, the, the things that we observe in this passage is that the word of God is going forth. And yes, the, the power of God is also going forth. Amen. To what extent? To the extent that even an inanimate object that's used to wipe or touch the skin of Paul could be taken to a sick person and the disease is cured. The extent of strength and power and the anointing above on this man who is growing in strength as he follows Christ and gives his life to Jesus is that they also take an apron and can take it to one who is possessed by a demon and the demons run. This is 
an incredible mystery. How can inanimate objects carry anointing? It's not new because there was a prophet, Elisha, who was buried and his bones, there's a dead man that was dropped on his bones and that man was resurrected. Even though his, Elisha's spirit had gone, those inanimate bones still held the anointing. This is crazy. But it's Bible. If we want, we want to be Bible people, right? Yes. Yeah, so we got to go there too. All right? So what am I proposing? I'm not proposing a business or a ministry where you take aprons and wipe Pastor Jim's sweat and take it to the sick. I'm not, not, not proposing that. What I'm proposing is, is that there is an ability to grow in strength. There is an ability, according to the scripture, that we can grow in anointing or increase in abilities. Right? That's, that's what I'm hearing and that's what I'm seeing here in the scriptures. And the thing is, is that it's God who is doing it. So you can go to this extreme, to the extent that you're willing to risk everything for the word of God. God will meet you with his mighty hand in power. God will exert the resources of heaven and move with extraordinary miracles. This is what God is doing here in Ephesus. Amen? So the question is, so we get this introduction here in verse 11 and 12. And then we get introduced in verse 13 to these exorcists, these Jewish exorcists. They are called the sons of Sceva. Let's read, let's read about this together. Then some, uh, sorry, not together. I'll read out loud, you read quietly. That's what I bet. <laughs> then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord, the Lord Jesus, over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of, of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. So what were the sons of Sceva up to? They were first going from place to place. That's what they were up to. Apparently, there were, these guys would, would move from place to place, find someone who was possessed by an evil spirit, and go about their rituals or their God formulas or their secret ways to expel a demon out of somebody. If you read about it, I read about it in the commentary, oftentimes what they would do is invoke a higher or more powerful spirit to remove a lesser powerful spirit. That's what often they would do. So let me ask you, is this really giving people freedom? No. Is you're only taking a lesser spirit, a wimpy one, and you're replacing it with something more powerful that can enslave them even more. That is not the way of Jesus. That is not the way of freedom. And, but apparently this is working because they have a job. They have a title. Jewish itinerant Jewish uh, exorcist. So apparently they had some success in this time. 
Uh, but their success was going to be matched by something more powerful here. So not only were they going from place to place, they were exercising demons using rituals, and they were using God formulas or even the secret name of God. But they went on to attempt to use the name of Jesus. And to use the name of Jesus is this idea of just adding Jesus' name to their tool bag. And I don't know about you, but Jesus is not just interested in being another tool in somebody's tool bag. He's interested in being Lord. He's interested in being the great I am for you and for me. He's not interested in being something used to peddle something else. And so, those, think about what Paul's calling was. He was called as one to bear the name of Christ. He received the baptism of, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He received the filling of the Holy Spirit. And he was strengthened. He was empowered and increased in strength in the Lord. And then you have these Jewish itinerants who come along with their nice little tools and rituals to try and do something that they'll regret. Attempt to use the name of Jesus. So I can imagine that their rationale went something like this. Oh, if Paul uses the name of Jesus, then we could. Paul's getting success. I mean, he's even using handkerchiefs and aprons to do amazing things, right? People are using that. Why can't we just use the name of Jesus? The answer is that is given to us in the questioning and then receiving a beatdown. That's what they're up to. The sons of Sceva are being questioned and they receive a beatdown. What's the question? How did the, the evil spirit react to them? The evil spirit said to them, Jesus, I know. I know him. That is to say, I have personal experience with Jesus. That is to say that I know Jesus, I know who he is, I know what he came to do, and I also know what he plans to do. The evil spirit knows Jesus. And then it goes on to say, Paul, I recognize. Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize. See the buildup? To recognize is to say, ah, I've thought about him. I've thought about Paul. I've heard about him, and I'm frankly getting to know him. I could just see this, uh, how, how, what these words imply. And then he says to them, but who are you? Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize. But who are you? That is to say, should I know you? Another way to look at this is, yo, what, what do you exist for? That's what the demon's saying. What is your existence here? And so, the beatdown ensues. It's 1 verse 7, and I don't know about you, if you've grown up in the Philadelphia school district, you've seen plenty of beatdowns once in a while, or grew up in Philly, you've seen them. When anybody gets rolled on, it's not a quiet matter. You know what I'm talking about when I say rolled on? Yes, bum rushed, or you know, whatever it is that you want to call it. And so, it's no small commotion. 
It's a big thing. There's exertion of power and strength, right? There are stuff happening, arms flailing, hair going all, weaves getting popped out, you know what I mean? I've seen a lot of that in my life. But all, that, all these signs here, what happens is, he, what the, the author of Scripture, Luke, introduces us to, is that the demon leaped on them, that is to assault them. The demon mastered all seven of them, that is to exercise his authority over them. You see, the issue is not that they are confronting the demon, the issue is on what authority are they confronting that evil spirit. Paul has authority because he bears the name of Christ. Paul has authority because he's identified with Jesus in water baptism. Paul has authority because he has been filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul has authority because he's increasing in his abilities as he proclaims boldly the name of Jesus. Paul is sold out for Jesus. So when you look at what is God doing in Ephesus, God is delivering people by the hands of Paul. These no good guys, you know, these stragglers that come around, uh, the seven sons of Sceva, they are, they're, they're coming and trying to use the name of Jesus, whom they have no authority. They have not been given authority. Jesus has not delegated his authority to them. Jesus has not marked them with his name or his blood. He has not cleansed them. You get what I'm saying? There is something in the spiritual realm where demons can know that you and I are the ones, the sons of God. The demons could know that we have authority in the name of Jesus. There's something in the spiritual realm. And in the physical realm, you know you have authority when you command it and it goes. You understand? Yes? And so, what we see here Here's the application that I want to bring about. First, this statement. Paul, what all that needed to be used was a handkerchief and an apron, and demons fled. These guys who had no authority had to be the ones to flee. But not just run, run around butt naked and wounded. That's extra humiliating. I don't know about you, but I don't really want to do that. Right? I don't want to be found in this way. Right? So they were running for safety. Their garments were torn and they were cut up. Here's the application that only those who carry the name of Jesus can resist the devil and watch the devil flee. James chapter 4 7 says to us, Humble yourself before the Lord, resist the devil, and he will flee. Only those who bear the name of Jesus can resist the devil and watch the devil run. Only. And that is the authority that you and I have in the, in the Lord Jesus Christ or the authority that we can increase in. There's a possibility for growth. And so, when we ask the question, what is God doing in Ephesus we have to see that God uses both what Paul is doing and what the sons of Sceva were doing to bring about change in Ephesus. Look at what it says here 
in verses 17 through 20. And this became known to all the residents. What became known? That there is a man who is walking with authority in the name of Jesus and demons are fleeing. What is also known? There are seven dummies who try to take the name of Jesus and receive the beatdown. Right? So, Sons of Sceva, SOS. That's what they were calling for, right? Sign of distress. That's what's known. Both Jews and Greeks know this. It says, And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they continued to value Sorry, they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Word and power. Essentially what happens here in Ephesus is revival happens. Our, vo- our vision here at church is to make, at True Vine, is to make disciples that sustain revival. And the way we define revival is spiritual renewal that leads to social change. That what happens in us must overflow into our society and bring transformation. It has to. So the character that Jesus is building in your life of honesty, integrity, uh, faithfulness to the Lord, purity, all these character things that the Lord is building up on you, that will overflow into society. One, it affects how you live among people. The other thing that happens is that the Lord fills you up, not just with things that change about your character, but there's something supernatural about you that changes wherever you go. Sorry, that you take wherever you go and has the ability and the capacity to change wherever you are and whomever you're with. So revival is not something just for you. Revival is for you so that you overflow and that those who get the overflow receive transformation and change. You and me are revived when we have right belief about Jesus. You and me are revived when the Holy Spirit comes and fill us. What do we do? We profess Jesus as Lord. We follow him in obedience, in baptism, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit so that we are not walking around impotent or unaware of what has happened inside of us. And we ask for more. And we ask for more. The Christian life, I'll tell you right now, here's a secret, is a lifetime of repentance. The Christian life is also a lifetime of filling with the Holy Spirit. That as you are filled and as the Lord moves in your life, you are becoming more and more like Jesus. And that is a lifetime thing. That is a lifetime pursuit. So what happens? They upgrade their power source. 
Fear fell upon them. Oftentimes when we look at the fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom, that is a reverence type of fear. But this fear that, that, that Paul is, or that Luke is writing about in, in Acts 19 is a dread and a terror. Right? It's a dread and a terror. You can only think. The reason why these magic art books that they had uh, were powerful is because there were powerful demons working behind that. So their incantations, their spells, they knew about the power of darkness. And they knew its ability. They knew its extent. And there was fear in them because of that. But when this dude named Jesus is proclaimed, and now we see demonstrations of the Spirit's power in their midst, all of a sudden they're confronted with a greater power. A greater authority, one who is to be feared, one who is to be dreaded over and filled with terror because all you knew about power has been destroyed by this one. And his name is Jesus. And so fear and dread filled them. The other thing that they did was they extolled the name of Jesus. That is to say the greatness of Jesus was praised. Not only did they recognize his authority over all these lesser spirits that they once thought were powerful, they are now giving him praise. They are now singing the praises of Jesus, who is Lord. Singing the praises of Jesus, who is worthy to receive all glory, honor, and power. They are praising the name of Jesus. This is where that's led them. The transformation in their hearts the transformation around them is leading them to fear and also to praise. And then they don't just leave it there. It doesn't become just a quiet thing that they encounter Jesus. They begin to confessing things out loud. Part of the power of magic is to cast a spell and the power is in the secrecy. But now they're divulging their practices. They're saying, I cast the spell on this guy, on this girl, and this event, and this event. And as they're bringing it out, the power is breaking. Yes. They're confessing out loud and divulging with clarity and specificity that they are no longer in line with that and agree that Jesus is the Lord, and Jesus is the King, and Jesus is to be followed, and our evil ways are not our ways anymore. But they don't even stop there. They take the things that they used to do, their holy books or their magic books, that they revolve their lives around, how to manipulate people, how to scheme people, how to get their way, how to change the circumstances in their life. They took those books, the magic art books, and burned them, further sealing their stance that this is no longer my way of life, that Jesus is the one that I want, and Jesus is the one that I'm going to follow. They burned their magic books. They upgraded their power source. They saw the power of Jesus and said, I want him. If he can take all these, uh, these lesser spirits, these tormenting spirits, these things that control us and rule our lives and dictate our relationships with one another, if Jesus can overcome all of those things, 
I want him. That's what they're seeing. And today, the call for you and for me is to upgrade your power source. You and me are living either under the oppression of a power that is, or we are living above that. Because the enemy, according to the scriptures, he is the prince of the power of the air. And And when Adam and Eve surrendered their authority, that's what happened. They gave their authority over to Satan so that he could have and do have and do whatever he wanted on the earth. But Jesus came back. Jesus came, destroyed the works of the devil by triumphing over the powers of darkness on the cross, by shedding his blood that will bring purification for anyone who believes in him and will bring freedom of any darkness that comes your way. Jesus brings deliverance and freedom. This is what he does. This is our Lord. This is the one whom they believed. And is this the one whom you choose to believe today? The one who can break the powers of hell. The chains of hell. Because those chains are fierce and strong. And their goal is to drag you down with them. Oh, you will receive promises. Jesus received promise of a kingdom on earth if he bowed his knee to to Satan. Jesus received the promise of protection if he jumped off and said the angels will carry. The Lord won't let you fall and hurt yourself. Jesus received that should he bow to Satan. But Jesus endured all of the things in life that Satan wanted to give him a shortcut out of. It says that for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. And that cross, that triumph over all of the powers of darkness, is your triumph. It's your victory. If you believe in the Lord Jesus and receive and bow your knee in loyalty to him. And you ask him to overtake you and have you. It's yours. Let me pray for us. In this moment, as you have been confronted with this, is Jesus someone that you want to bow your knee to? Is Jesus someone that you want to receive? Is Jesus' victory a victory that you want to be yours? So for those who have not called upon the name of Jesus to save them, I'm going to lead you in that time. So if you want to confess that Jesus is Lord, repeat after me. Say, Jesus, I confess that you are Lord. And I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And that you rose again from the dead. In victory over all the powers of darkness. And to show me mercy for all the sin that I've committed. 
Today I receive you, Lord. Today I believe in you. And I say, you are my Lord. Overtake me. Fill me with your spirit. Mark me with your blood. So that I might overcome. In Jesus' name. Amen. If for the first time you, you ask the Lord to save you, I'd like to have a conversation with you and take this step a little further, uh, further on. I know it's intimidating. I'm not going to say stand up if you receive Jesus for the first time now. I'd like you to maybe come up and speak with me. But I want to lead us in another thing here. Uh, in a renouncing and a declaring, if that's okay with you. Yes? yes. Let's stand together. We believe that Jesus is greater, right? Yes. All right. In John 8, 44, Jesus tells us that Satan was a murderer and a liar from the beginning. So let's declare together. Say, Jesus, I break any ties with Satan, who is a murderer and a liar, and I come to you. In John, 1 John 3, 8, it says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Say, Jesus, Jesus I thank you for destroying the works of Satan. And I declare that I would like to join you in destroying the works of Satan. Colossians 2, 13 through 15 says that the Lord... In his death on the cross, dismantled the strongholds of the enemy and made a spectacle of them. Let's acknowledge together. Say, Jesus, I acknowledge that on the cross, you disarmed Satan and you have made a spectacle of him. I stand under the power of the cross. That everything is broken. All the powers of darkness broken. Can you advance that for me? It's not going. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, it says that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Let's declare, Jesus, Jesus, you who are in me, me, is greater greater than he who is in this world. world. And I stand with you. In Luke chapter 10, 17 through 20, Jesus tells his disciples that he will give them authority, has given them authority to trample over the snakes and the scorpions of the enemy, and that he would not harm them. And so let's stand with Jesus. Say, Jesus, I stand in your authority with gratitude, and I trample over the snakes and the scorpions of Satan in your name. In Revelations 12, 10 through 11, 
It says that we will overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. Let's declare together, Jesus, you have washed me with your blood. You've given me cleansing. Jesus, you have marked me with your blood. I'm no longer an object of wrath, but a vessel for your mercy and a vessel for your grace. My faith in you, that you died, that you were buried, and that you rose again, and that you have saved me. That is my testimony. And I will overcome. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Lord, as we make, yes, hallelujah, praise Him. God, I thank you that ties with Satan have been broken. That weight is lifted. That our ears are no longer ears to be whispered into by Satan. And that we don't, uh, we are no longer given, Lord, to the control of the enemy. But we are yours. And we ask, Lord, for more of you. We ask more of your spirit, Lord. We ask more of your filling, Lord. We ask more of Jesus in us and more of Jesus through us. We ask, O God, that as we devote ourselves to your word, to the proclaiming of your word, that you would meet us, O God, with powerful and extraordinary works of miracles. That wherever your word is proclaimed, Jesus, where you are declared as Lord, where you are declared as the victor, where you are declared as the redeemer, that your powers, O God, will be seen there. And that the demons will flee in the name of Jesus. And that those who are in darkness would come into light. And that there will be salvations, O Lord, and many more added to your kingdom. We bless you, O Lord. And we ask, Lord, that your word will prevail in our land. We ask that your word will prevail in us and prevail in our land. In Jesus' name, amen.